This week's special guest, broadcaster extraordinaire, James Duffy, author, award-winning host, and all-around great guy. Joe Tilly's great Canadian sports show, coming up! Welcome to the program. We have another dandy for you. Uh, today's guest hails from Ottawa. He has a journalism degree from Carleton University. He's a former reporter, anchor at CTV Ottawa and YTV or VTV Vancouver. Uh, joined TSN in 1998. He's the author of four books, host of TSN's hockey coverage, including World Junior Championships, Trade Deadline Show, Free Agent Frenzy. He's also host of the Masters. Olympic host for CTV and TSN, four-time Canadian Screen Award winner, three-time Gemini Award winner as best sports host. He is a Sports Media Canada Award winner for excellence in broadcasting. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the program, James Duffy. James, good to have you here, my friend. Thank you, my friend. Did you type that all yourself up on the screen? That's uh, it's w very weird to see your entire life in, uh, in words like that. <laughs> yeah, Vic jammed it all in there, man. That's what that's what Vic does. Uh, by the oh, way, wise. I gotta ask you, who, who's what's your dog's name? Your buddy there. Oh, that that is Willow, and I, uh, Willow. I will uh, apologize to you and Vic and your listeners uh, from the beginning because I have two dogs, and they will frequently interrupt uh, our proceedings here. Likely, uh, Willow's the quieter one. She's actually kind of disabled. She uh, she's kind of lost control of her back legs, so uh, she oh. sits there whenever I do anything or I'm in this office. She is on that chair the entire time, and then Hugo so, will come in and probably assault her multiple times during our podcast. Okay, so Willow, I'm gonna I'm gonna suggest that she might be a little older. She's on on in years. Willow, Willow's ten, and then ten. Hugo okay, is, Hugo's our COVID dog. Uh, okay. It's a hor horrific mistake. No, he's great. Uh, he's only <laughs> he's he's two, so uh, they, you know okay. what? They, it it works out well. We actually had three dogs for a while. We lost one last year, which was uh, two dogs. I think is great. Like I would recommend two dogs to people if you have right. one dog because you you feel better when you go away or you know even if you leave for a day, go golfing or whatever that they have somebody to hang around with. Three dogs was the dumbest thing we ever freaking did, Joe. Like it was <laughs> three dogs is insane, but uh, we're back down. Yeah. Still. Yeah. I mean, two is good. They entertain each other. And, you know, we, we, like you said, you go away, you know that they're going to be having a good time together. But three starts to get a little crazy. And kids are kind of the yeah. same way, right? So, yeah, it's the same. It's the same deal with kids. We had three kids. So obviously we didn't yeah. learn anything from that. Yeah. <laughs> no, not at all. So I want to talk uh, about your, your bio says, uh, touch football standout, uh, C division <laughs> career ended by a head to head collision. <laughs> Tell us more. Okay. Who found this out? Vic, I don't Vic know. found this out. Uh, okay. So I was, uh, touch football was football was kind of always my passion. I wasn't a great hockey player. I lived in, in BC when I was young. And so when I moved to Ottawa, which I consider my hometown, uh, I was, eight years old, and I'd never skated before. Uh, because in Victoria, we played soccer all winter, winter long. So I was way behind in hockey. Obviously, I fell in love with hockey. 
And, uh, it, but it took me about six years to catch up to everybody. I didn't make rep until my very last year of hockey when I was 14 and then I, I quit the game. So, uh, football was always the sport I loved as well as soccer. And, uh, uh, played, uh, high school football was going to go to McGill and, and play college football, but I chased the journalism at Carleton instead. So touch football became my thing. And everybody always laughs at touch football, flag football, all my athlete friends, the Ray Ferraros and Jeff O'Neill's of the world make fun of it. You know, touch football has kind of a wimpy name to it, but anybody who plays touch football knows that that is a bit of a misnomer, that there's a lot of contact. And I think what you're referring to in my, I played a lot of touch football uh, growing up and kept playing till I was, geez, in my late forties a few years ago. And um, there was a game in downtown Toronto. It was the, it was the championship of the Toronto, sorry, here one second, one second. Well, well, you go. Okay. As promised, first of our frequent dog interruptions. This is Hugo. Um, <laughs> say hi. Say hi to Hugo, everybody. Hi, Hugo. All right. Uh, so uh, we were playing in. Uh, I don't know if it was C division. I felt like it was higher than that, and I, I did go head to head with somebody across the middle, and was completely knocked out, and like woke up sort of on the sidelines, and, and they told me I'd been like crawling around on all fours, gurgling. It wasn't pretty. Uh, and it was really dicey being on TV. I had complete post-concussion. The next few months, I think I had this, Bob McKenzie said, was always worried the whole thing was going to go off the rails because I was just going to uh, freeze up on camera because I was having trouble putting sentences together. But that basically did end my touch football career, tragically. So the information was very accurate. So uh, Bobby would look over at you and you would have the, the wonky <laughs> eye syndrome going on there. <laughs> kind be of like, oh, I'd be like, oh, welcome to the second intermission. <laughs> Please, please. <laughs> yeah, was, uh, yeah. No, I, uh, I certainly it. I, I had a few concussions, and I can certainly relate to the athletes. I can't imagine doing it at a pro level uh, because I did have issues for several months afterwards, and uh, it was it was frightening. But thankfully, the head mostly works now these days. Well, well, you know, um, you talk about hockey, obviously getting into it. Later in life, uh, for, compared to most young kids, but uh, football's always been a big part of your life. Uh, you mentioned that, and uh, always a big part of the life for the Duthie family. We actually, I know your 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 dad passed away a, a few years ago, but we have a clip here evol- involving a piece uh, with your your mom, your dad. It was uh, from Time Out with the Twins. Vic, uh, let's roll that. Oh, yeah. I think it was actually my mom who brought my dad to a game. It was her that introduced him to the Rough Riders in football, and he kind of fell in love with it. Rough Riders were crazy. <laughs> loved them. Jim is very quiet. I always say, and I jump up and down and things like that. And so I'm he very, very exuberant. The home was just the two of us. And I yell at them on the team when they miss a pass, and I say, what are you doing? They shared that same passion, and I think it just kind of help foster their relationship, their passion for this game and, and this team. I'd like to talk a little bit more about you guys growing up as a family and why was it important to you that they be a part of the football traditions that you guys love so much? I think it was just important that a family do things together. 22 years basically we sat in these very seats. This was the one sort of thing I always did with my mom and dad. It becomes a big part of your life. Like up here we plan our lives around football games. They were real high last year. It was just, just so exciting and everything else. 
I was biased last year during the Grey Cup for sure because I never thought in my life that we'd see football here in Ottawa again. And I never thought ever they'd win a Grey Cup. Uh, especially, you know, with my, when my parents were still alive as they were getting older. And so when that game was close in the fourth quarter in overtime, I was really hoping for the Red Blacks, just for them. Snow expected to fall throughout the game. Henry Burris had the game of his life last year. His... So what is it like to watch your son make such a significant contribution to Canadian football? It's pretty special. We're very proud of him. Jim used to say uh, he used to be uh, somebody in his own right. Now people say, oh, you're James Duthie's parents. Very cool, James. Uh, tell us what you, th what you what you think about when you look back at that piece and years and uh, um, credit to those two lovely ladies uh, who are from Ottawa and did a like a half an hour documentary on me and my family and uh, did an did an amazing job. Uh, it was uh, yeah, that, that's special. I haven't seen video of my dad in since he passed about four years ago, so. What I said there is is dead true. I think it was the the one thing that you know my dad never played golf, Joe, uh, so we didn't bond that way. He coached me in soccer for a while, but the one thing we did together, my mom and dad and I, was go to those football games. And I was always the, uh, the got the third chair. My sisters, when they wanted to go, they buy them end zone seats. I think my dad gave me a little favoritism there. So uh, for literally, like I said, twenty years, my I moved to Ottawa when I was eight and moved away when I was thirty. And every one of those, we were there for every single Ottawa Rough Riders. And then when they came back, whatever it was, the Renegades games uh, before I left. So I, I treasure those times incredibly so. Like my, my dad was the most obsessed guy with football you'd ever meet. It's all he ever wanted to talk about was the Rough Riders, who were horrible for all those years, by the way. Like, I, I think you could do a study that this was probably the worst professional sports franchise ever. Those 22 years that we went. They had two nine and nine seasons, uh, Joe, which we call the dynasty years. That was, <laughs> they were, they were so bad. Like the Argos would get good and then bad and good and then bad and good and then bad. And Ottawa would be bad the entire time. And my dad, uh, we would sit there and be Doug Flutie be in town. It would be 55 to two for Calgary. And, and my dad would never want to leave the game until the final whistle. So I, I, I think he taught me a lot about perseverance, loyalty and, and all those things. So if you, if you were to ask me, you know, favorite moments in my career, that that game where the Red Blacks with Henry Burris won the Grey Cup is one of my all-time favorites, uh, simply because all I could think about was my dad, who ended up passing away a year afterwards. And I, you know, I never thought they'd be able, as I said in that piece, to win a championship again for him. So that was one of the uh, one of the coolest moments, probably one of the most nervous I've been watching a sporting event. And as I said in there, I'm, I'm trying to be, you know, 99% of the time I'm completely unbiased i really don't care who wins but in this case i wanted it so bad for my dad so uh, to be up there presenting the gray cup to uh, uh to the red blacks with knowing he was uh there watching was pretty cool awesome moment um they would have really liked the, the piece we did with russ jackson uh, a few weeks back that oh, was, that, sure those were the real glory years of Ottawa. Well, my, my mom taught with Russ Jackson. You know, those were the days when you played quarterback in the CFL and you had a job. And, and yeah. Russ was a teacher. And my mom, my mom taught at the same school. And that's probably where her love of football came from was, you know, Russ was at his peak and, was, and uh, she knew him. And so that's where I think she started dragging my dad to football games. So, and getting to meet 
I remember I took my dad to a game. The first game, the Red Locks were when they were reborn. And I took my son and my dad, which was you know, kind of a cool moment, three generations. And we went down on the field and Russ Jackson was there and uh, got to meet my dad, which was, again, just one of those cool moments, which this business gives you that I cherish. Well, you know, your mom would be the envy of many. She goes to the staff room at school and hey, there's Russ. <laughs> Russ That's right. Hey, hey, Russ, you didn't put any coffee Ru in the machine. What are you doing? Russ, help me mark these tests. <laughs> Sheila, I'm studying for the damn game. Playing the Ticats tonight. <laughs> so who were your uh, sports heroes uh, and heroes in the broadcast business? Uh, well, it, it, I, let's start with the first part. Um, you know, I, I would say whoever was the quarterback of the Rough Riders at the time uh, was probably my guy. <laughs> I also loved baseball back then, and I really loved the Expos. When I when I moved to Ottawa, uh, the Expos were just sort of coming around those late 70s, Andre Dawson, Tim Raines Expos. And Tim Raines was my guy. I was He was probably the, the athlete I worshipped most growing up. I just, I lived and died with every Expos game. I I've told people before, we didn't always get the English broadcast on the radio in Ottawa. So I would listen to a little tiny AM transistor radio and listen in French. And my French, I was taking French immersion, but my French was just okay. And uh, for, forever, I thought there was a player on the Expos called Orling because they'd always say, Bar frappe Orling, elle saisit pour la troisième retrait. And Orling means out of line, foul ball. But every oh. two seconds, it'd be like, Bar frappe Orling. I'm like, this Orling guy is unbelievable. He's involved in every single play. <laughs> Until I, my mom told me at some point that Orling meant foul ball. Uh, but no, Tim Raines was my guy. Uh, I, I just simply adored him. When I turned 17, my uh, my sisters baked me a cake in the shape of Tim Raines' head, <laughs> and of course my idiot my my idiot friends put like sh sugar under the nose. Did a cocaine joke. Tim Raines had a cocaine <laughs> problem, which hurt me. It was very dis very distasteful. Yeah. Uh, but I, I met Tim later. Uh, he came on my podcast at TSN years later when he put a book out, and I told him all these stories. I think I really creeped him out. Because, yeah, I ate, uh, I had a birthday cake in the shape of your head, Tim. <laughs> Tim was a little confused. But uh, so those guys, and I love the 49ers. So Jerry Rice and Joe Montana were also Ronnie Lott. The only two sweaters I've ever owned were Ronnie Lott's 49er jersey and Tim Raines' Expos jersey. Those are the only two, uh, plus a bunch of Rough Rider jerseys. Um, as for broadcasting heroes, it's funny. The number one guy that comes into my mind is not a sports guy. And it's, it's David Letterman. And when I was, I don't know, in those years, those teenage years, 13, 14, Letterman was just starting. He actually had a, a morning show on NBC that a lot of people don't remember. And I started watching this guy. And I guess I'd, I'd just never seen a, a comedian who had this weird sense of humor and, you know, did all those stupid things that he would end up doing on his late night show, dropping, you know, paint and balloons and watermelons off of buildings. And it was just this kind of dumb humor that I related to. And I guess my friends related to. So uh, some of the stupid stuff I've done at TSN, they've let me do some really dumb features over the years. I probably should, I probably was influenced more by David Letterman than anybody in sports broadcasting, but uh, locally, the two local guys, and I, I think you probably knew, knew them, Joe, a little bit, were Brian Smith and Bill Patterson in Ottawa. And I grew up right. in a little suburb of Blackburn Hamlet. There weren't all the national networks, TSN and Sportsnet around back then. And 
all you did was watch the local sports, it, you know, same in Toronto with everybody who watched you and Lance and Sunil and everyone on, on CFTO in Ottawa, it was Brian Smith and Bill Patterson and Dan Sagan for a while. And then Carolyn Waldo. And I can remember thinking when I, you know, around the time, maybe 15 or 16 that I thought I wasn't going to make it as a pro athlete. Maybe I'd love to do sports broadcasting that, um, uh, if I could just be the local sportscaster at 1130 doing the highlights, uh, man, my, my life would be made. So in many ways, Bill and Brian were, were, were the two guys I looked up to. And when I went to journalism at Carleton and then ended up, uh, you know, at CJOH, I was a news reporter at first. That was the first job I got, but I would spend all my time back there with Brian and Bill in the sports department. I would file my story as quickly as I could and then back there and, and hang out with them and just, hear all their stories. Brian was an ex-NHL player. Bill was just so funny. And uh, I think that they taught me as much about the business as anybody else along the way. Yeah, I can relate to that. Al McCann, Al McCann and uh, Ernie Afghanis growing up in Edmonton. Those were my guys. I want to be just like them. And if I can ever get a job at right. CFRN in Edmonton, man, oh boy, would that ever be cool. And, uh, and but it's I, too I, bad, I you know, our, today's generation, they have just no idea how big the uh, you know, guys like yourself were the local sportscasters, how much they meant to all of us. That's where we got our highlights from. That's where we got our scores from. And I, I, I think it's one of the, you know, to me, one of the sad things in the business is that, that that's sort of gone, gone away. Right. And a lot of local newscasts don't even do sports anymore, which uh, to me is really sad. I, I get it. It's, it's the time that we're in and they get it all off their phones now anyway, but you know, those days where I'd sit there at 1130 and get all my highlights and that's the only place you'd get them. Uh, we sound like a couple old guys talking now, but, you know, all the games weren't even on TV. So sometimes Leaf highlights, the only place you'd get them was at 1130 on your local station. So uh, those those were great days. And, they, you know, Billy and Brian both passed away. Uh, Brian, very tragically, uh, I won't want to tell the whole story for your listeners, but uh, yeah. uh, Brian was, was shot in the head by a uh, schizophrenic outside our station in I think 1994, 1995, Billy passed away a couple of years later of a heart attack and uh, uh, two of the real tragedies in Ottawa because like, they were real you know, local celebrities and, and heroes to me. Well, I know that you started out in news. How did, how did you get the gig in the news gig? Well, I did. Uh, so at, at Carleton, you had to do a one-week internship and CJOH, which was CTV Ottawa, uh, was this, they did internships so we could come for a week and fetch coffee and everything. But you actually got to do a couple of stories that went on air that they usually run as the very last story on the 1130 newscast. And I did a couple and I guess I did a, a decent job, but breaks are everything in this business. And mine was a literal break. Guy Lepage, who was a reporter in Ottawa, Guy Lepage, CJOH TV, Gatineau. Uh, Guy Lepage broke his rib skiing on the Saturday uh, I finished my internship on a Friday and I guess I was fresh in their head and they needed somebody to do the shift on Sunday and so called me and I did a shift and then I did was back Monday and back Tuesday and back Wednesday and was working full time while I was still in school with a couple of months left in my last year of school and they hired me for the summer and then hired me full time and I spent five or six years covering murders and fires and all the stuff you see on the local news all the while desperately wanting to get into sports. And I got to do a little bit of stint. Carolyn Waldo, the synchronized swimmer came and worked for us and she had a couple yep. of babies. So I would fill in for her. 
And then unfortunately, when, when Smitty died, uh, that was the break that I got to, to move into sports, which was an incredibly difficult thing because, I, as I told you, I admired him so much and you'd wanted something your whole career. All I wanted to do was be a sportscaster and then you get it by a dear friend of yours dying. And it never felt right for me. So I went into the newsroom and worked with Bill and, and Carolyn for a year and a half, but I never felt right about it. And it kind of ate away at me and, and haunted me almost that this was how I'd gotten my break. And so I ended up taking another news job in Vancouver and kind of giving up on my dream just because I didn't feel right about the job in Ottawa. And uh, somewhere in the midst of that, I, I did a, an audition at TSN. Keith Kelly, who was running TSN, had seen me. Uh, covering a Senators game or something and, and called and I went and did an audition and they didn't have a job for me at that time and I, I moved out to Vancouver and and uh, I told him you know I really want to go live in BC for a while I love BC and I said don't call me for two or three years because he said I still want to hire you and he called me six months later and uh, and gave me the job hosting CFL and NBA for TSN so that was that. You know, I mean, it's a different type of, uh, you know, situation, but it just comes to mind because I'm, I'm thinking, you know, in terms of what's happening right now, um, you know, Lisa Laflamme leaving CTV and, and Omar trying to move into her job. Right. Omar being a tremendous guy. I mean, where I worked with both of them, love them both and, and a tremendous, uh, you know, talent and everything else being, you know, thrust into that awkward, awkward situation. And, it must be uh, yeah. difficult for, yeah. for both. So obviously, you know, Lisa, I mean, you, you can weigh in on that if, if you like. I didn't want to push that on you, but. No, no. And I, I, you know, all I'm going to say is that I had a ton, tremendous amount of respect for Lisa. We did the Olympics together in 2010, which was one of the highlights of my career. And uh, I would see her in the makeup room as you would all the time and uh, just love those chats we had. So, Certainly, I was disappointed with all of that, but I, I hope people give Omar a chance because you're right, he's a great guy. And you're right, I think filling those chairs is, is tough. I, in many ways, uh, you know, Bill Patterson, he never wanted the chair that was Brian Smith. You know, Brian Smith did the six o'clock and Brian was a local legend and Billy did the 1130 and, and Billy was really comfortable in that role. And when Brian died, Billy was thrust into the, into the 1130, into the six o'clock chair and, uh, and I moved into Billy's chair. And I think that Billy, he never, he was never comfortable with it. And I really think that probably contributed to his heart attack a couple of years later when he passed away, that he was, you know, he always wanted to be the second guy and, and never wanted to be the, the star, or the lead guy. He was such a nice guy. And uh, um, I think that stress really probably wore on him. So yeah, it, it can be a really difficult situation. Um. What do you think about, you know, like we, you talked earlier about how the, the business is changing, you know, the, the business of, of sports media in particular. Uh, but, you know, we, we have to have our sources. We have to have the, you know, the, the place has to, you know, the stuff has to originate from somewhere. I mean, uh, if there's not a TSN, if there's not a sports net, if there's not local sports, well, first of all, you know, with local sports, with us losing local sports across the country, uh, we've lost local sports so let's face it i mean you're, you're never going to yeah. see a high school football game on tsn you're never going to see a, a university football game on tsn you're never going to see a university hockey game at any of these uh, any of these outlets so you know what happens to these you know local sports and you know if, if there's a kid who's coming up and he's a, a superstar athlete we don't know about it we don't have the you know the city tv 
star of the week and all that other stuff. Right. So. Uh, you're bang on. And I think it's, it's, uh, it's sort of one of the tragedies of the way the business has gone when, when I was at CJOH in those glory years, and I know SIFTO was the same, you know, you had what five sportscasters working there. We had three at CJOH. We did eight to nine minutes. They gave us in the one hour sportscast. And we did features like the, the athlete of the week. There was a high school athlete of the week that we always did. And, mm-hmm. you know, some of them ended up being NHL players and, and the CFL players and so on and so forth. Uh, we did a senior of the week, which was uh, one mm-hmm. of the favorite things that Billy would always do. He'd, you know, interview some 95 year old cross country skier and give them their 15 minutes of fame. And I, I really think that, uh, it's a shame. Like I said, I don't want to sound like the old guy. I understand that times change and I understand it's, uh, you know, even normal over the air television itself has its issues right now, but I loved those things. And I think they were important. I think it was important to broadcast the highlights of the city football championship, the, the high school football championship and things like that. And, um, you know, maybe there's a place and, you know, there's social media channels and things and, uh, that they could, those stories can still get out there, but uh, it'll never be the same. And it's it's always it's always bothered me. Like I'll always cherish my years in local TV as much as I love it at TSN because I think those stories are are really special. And it's uh, it's something we're never going to get back. Yeah, and uh, yeah. So I guess you know everything evolves, everything you know changes and moves. It's a mm-hmm. you know always changing, and you have to kind of keep up with the times. So it just it's unfortunate. I just think there's can't. still got to be a market somewhere that, you yeah, know, that yeah. some people, you know, yeah. that, and maybe it's an older, it's older folks that they don't seem to care about from the advertising perspective uh, that still love their local news and their local sports. But uh, yeah, it's like I said, it's one thing I lament and I'm, I'm glad. I'll just say, I'm glad that, you know, we got to experience those years because those were, those were great years sort of in the eighties and nineties where, where local sports did matter. And, uh, we the one thing Billy always taught me uh, and ingrained into my head was that if I was interviewing that high school athlete of the week or the 92 year old mall walker, uh, <laughs> that 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 was as important as interviewing Wayne Gretzky or you know Sidney Crosby or whoever. That you know I had to be just as much of a professional and take that story just as seriously as if I was doing. Uh, a big name pro athlete. And that, that always stuck with me and try, I tried, tried to carry that through my career. Yeah. I remember interviewing the captains of the, uh, the Marlies, the, uh, <laughs> Don Mills flyers, you know, right. uh, the ESO challenge cup, you know, Pee Wee championship and, and interviewing the three captains and, you know, it was like, this is good stuff. And, uh, and people liked it, you know, and viewers liked it. You got good comments about stuff like that. It's just, it's a shame that we can't, find a niche for that somehow and maybe maybe it will happen over time but it's just well you know things things are cyclical and you know maybe maybe i'm wrong and maybe that cycle will never come back or maybe there'll be a pushback for that maybe will somebody will figure out a way that they can make money uh you know covering local sports that way i i I hope so i'm not smart enough to figure it out but i hope somebody does yeah well you know you've you uh you do a pretty good job with what you do uh James, uh, you've received numerous awards uh, for your interviewing skills. Our pal, uh, Paul Patsko, uh, found this chat you had with John Tortorella 
back when he landed the Vancouver job. Let's listen. When you were at TSN, I got the impression there was no player you liked or respected more than Brad Richards. Yeah. Have you spoken to him no. since you've been fired? No. Do you think that relationship's damaged? Uh, yeah. That's all I'll go. Does that hurt? Kills me. Kills me. That, 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 that kid there, I mean, that, that kid there, I grew up with him. I learned a lot from him in Tampa. We grew up together in Tampa. I don't know where it went. Uh, now, see, now you get me talking about it. But, yeah, it's been damaged. You said you had no regrets from New York. Is that maybe one? Yeah, that's one. Yeah, I will. That, that's a big one because I, I, uh, I, when the game's done, relationships are all you have left. That's very important to me. And, um, yeah, that, that, that's a tough one for me. So, I mean, there's a good interview with, with, uh, with Torch, and you're asking him the tough questions, questions that it sounds like a lot, like he didn't want you, you to ask him about. But uh, tell us about that, and tell us about that interview in particular with, with Torch, having worked with him on, on, on the desk. Well, that, that's always helpful. Uh, you know, what he said there about, you know, in the end, all you have in relationships, I, I think that that is crucial when it comes to an interview situation like that. If you have a relationship with someone, that they trust you and Torts worked with us for about six months before he took that Rangers job. Uh, I, I think that helps in a situation like that, that maybe if I didn't know him whatsoever and we just sat down for an interview and I've been in those situations where I don't know the subject and I can tell they're not familiar with me and they're trying to figure me out. Maybe they're a lot more guarded. Whereas if you've had that personal relationship with someone before, there is a trust level where they will open up a little bit more to you. And I think that was the situation with Torts. I can remember that one in Vancouver. And he had uh, told me before we sat down, I'm not going to ask him. You know, he goes, I know you. I know you, Duff. I know you're going to try and get me to talk about stuff. We're not going to do it. I'm just going to talk about the guys. <laughs> and then I still I, <laughs> I still figured out a way to get him. Torts is still one of the, uh, one of the funniest guys ever. Uh, because he, he never wanted to be on TV. I think he understood the value. What we did on the panel all those years and continue to do, we'd have so many ex-coaches, probably had 50 or ex-coaches and players come through the doors at TSN. And I'm not dumb. I know that they were all using us to try and stay, have their name out there so they could get another job. And Torts was no exception. He didn't really want to sit on the panel. He just wanted to keep his name out there. And I think we had an incredible success rate for getting coaches rehired. But <laughs> he, he, I can remember him sitting, sitting around one night and we were, between games of a doublehead or eating pizza or whatever. And he goes, guys, I love this, man. I love sitting around talking hockey with you guys, eating pizza. I, I just, I, I, I just wished I didn't have to go on TV. <laughs> okay. Well, Torts, that's, that's kind of the point where we're actually paying you to be on TV. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, he, he, he never really wanted to do it, which one of the most amazing phone calls I ever got was when he, uh, when he got fired from, I guess the Vancouver job, and he thought he was never going to get another job. And he called me and said, I think I'd want to do TV full time. And it was one of those spit out the drink moments, Joe, where I was like, what? He goes, yeah, I think I want to do TV full time now. And he was the last person I ever thought would want to do TV full time. And I think within two weeks of that, he, uh, he had a job with Columbus. So uh, yeah. and now he's had multiple lives since then. So I never underestimate the possibility of coaches getting nine lives. 
that TV thing kind of didn't didn't work out at that particular time because <laughs> a, a no. coaching job got in the way. Um, but he keeps coming back to it. I mean, he's gone to ESPN yeah. about three different times now. So, well, I know he didn't. He hated the quiz. He uh, he made that very clear. <laughs> <laughs> to this to this day, Joe, if I if I text Torts about something, uh, and mostly it'll be some, it'll be you know. If he gets a new contract, I might say congratulations, coach. I don't, I don't bug too many guys for inside information and such. Or, you know, maybe if they're in a playoff series, I might ask him a question about his lineup. Uh, he always responds with the answer. He usually doesn't answer me, and ends with three words: "The quiz sucks." Every single text he ever sent me ends with "The quiz sucks." <laughs> you know, he had his legendary. Uh, uh, diatribe uh, with uh, the New York media and yeah, uh you know Brooks, one, one, one of his one of his his big uh, biggest tips was with a reporter in new york named brooks and he called him brooksy yeah. interestingly enough that's your your wife's your nickname yeah. for your, for your <laughs> wife. that's right my wife's name is cheryl brooks and and i call her brooks the other i i tweeted this uh i think i might have tweeted this is where you probably got it a couple of years ago is that she is, does not follow sports. And I think that's one of the reasons our relationship works so well is that she is not a sports fan whatsoever. And so when I come home from work, I do not talk about the Leafs power play and things like that because <laughs> she doesn't care whatsoever. And, uh, but when, uh, when we're in some sort of disagreement about something, I will usually say something. And if she scoffs at something I say, I'll say, I guess that's what I'm saying, Brooksy. She, no she has no idea what I'm talking about. And I think that's my favorite thing in life. I just start laughing every time because she has no clue what I mean. It's a direct Tortorella quote. I've heard it many times. Yes, it is. Uh, <laughs> so uh, speaking of, of Cheryl, I know she went uh, underwent a, a health scare a few years back. And tell us about getting through that and, and how, how you guys were able to get through that. Yeah, it was the uh, uh, scariest time in my life. We had three little kids and uh, looked very dire for a while. I haven't talked about it in a while. I don't like to get into the details. Everyone has something that they have to deal with in life and their family. But, um, it was, uh, it was a, a, I guess a wake up call to the priorities of life, which I don't think I've ever uh, forgotten since then. And, uh, you know, where work fits into your world and where the little problems that you have at work or wherever else fit into your world. And, uh, you realize right away that family is the only thing that matters, but, uh, she's been fantastic now for, uh, ooh, 16 years and counting. So, so, uh, uh, it's wow. amazing. I got kids, kids that are 22 and 21 and, uh, and, and 19 and, uh, two idiot dogs. So, uh, I'm incredibly, <laughs> incredibly, incredibly fortunate considering where we were back then. Yeah. It's amazing how your priorities get, uh, you know, straightened out when, 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 big things happen in your life and, and uh, yeah for sure for yeah sure. yeah so um i want to talk about your books you've written four of them or written and co-written for them um now the guy on the left sports stories from the best seat in the house we have some uh, video actually of you doing a, a book signing a while back uh what prompted oh, you to write this book and give us uh, something juicy from this book <laughs> um probably just ego prompted me to write it just pure ego joe um, <laughs> so oh is that music coming from uh, your podcast is that what you're showing <laughs> i don't know yeah. oh, oh so my phone is uh, 
Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift just came in on my phone. Right? I uh, I pocket dialed Taylor Swift, so I'll turn that off. I'm a Swifty. I have to I have to confess to that right now. I was driving my daughter back to Queens yesterday, and we had uh, uh, we had Taylor Swift going for about two and a half hours. So I guess it must be still in my pocket. Chuck. Um, the guy on the left. So I think that I I wanted to write. I, and I think I say this in the book, not an autobiography, because I believe that the people who should write autobiographies are prime ministers and astronauts, not sportscasters. Uh, I don't think anybody really cares. But the, some of the stories we've talked about today, I, you know, in this job, as you know, you, you do, you meet a lot of fascinating people. You get to cover a lot of really cool events. A lot of crazy things happen in television. And I sort of had all these stories floating around in my head that I thought would be fun to gather in one place. And so I guess I wrote it a bit like an autobiography, um, but there's not all the, you know, the boring stuff about my life. It's mostly just a way of telling stories. And that's always been my favorite part of the business is, uh, is being a storyteller. And it's the same with my, my last book beauties, which is a collection of hockey stories. I just wanted to tell, interesting, hopefully funny stories about being in television and being in broadcasting and the people that I've met along the way. And so that's what the guy on the left was, was just a collection of the, the wackiest things that have happened in my career and the most interesting things that I've gotten to cover. The, the title comes from, and I really like the title of this book because I, I still think it says a lot about the sort of Z-grade level of celebrity we have as Canadian sportscasters. I was at a hockey tournament with my son in Pittsburgh and as you know, there's all sorts of Canadian, mostly Canadian teams. You drive to Pittsburgh or Cleveland and you're playing Whitby and, and Pickering in the tournament. But uh, there we were, you know, the kids were playing uh, mini sticks in the hallway and parents were drinking beer, as it always happens at these tournaments. And there was a, a woman came up to me and said, I know you. I know you from somewhere. I can't place your face, which I get a lot, that kind of thing. <laughs> and she said, you're, you're the guy on the left. And I said, what? <laughs> And she said, when I watch the panel, the hockey games, you're the guy on the left. And so I thought that was a, uh, a pretty good comment on, uh, <laughs> uh, like I said, the level of notoriety we have in our, in our business. And so that's what I, that's what I called the book. But, uh, and it was, a, it was probably the hardest book I've written out of the four that I've written um, because it's hard to talk about yourself. And I didn't want to do BS stories. I wanted the stories to be real and true and not exaggerated and uh, as they happened. And but you wonder if your memory is distorted in places. So I talked to people to make sure things happened the way they were supposed to happen. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of very personal stuff in there. So it was, uh, it was a labor of love um, that I wrote mostly uh, at outside my son's hockey games and my daughter's soccer practices and such for a year, but uh, uh, pretty proud of it in the end. Okay, beauties, you touched on it. Uh, hockey's greatest untold stories. And for that book, you uh, you uh, went out, reached out, and asked for some stories from a variety of different people. And you got, you got some pretty good ones. Yeah, same thing where I, I think stories are at the root of everything we do in this business. And it, hosting that panel all the years, you get guys like Torts or... Roberto Luongo or whoever sitting on the panel next to you. And, and sometimes the best stories they tell are not suited for an intermission or a pregame of a hockey game or, or not suited for television at all. And I wanted, I wanted that. If you, you know, if you sat down for a beer with whoever it may be, Wayne Gretzky or 
Ty Domi or Dougie Gilmore or something, what you what do you want to hear? You want to hear the stuff that they've never told before. And and that's what I wanted this book to be is to be those stories that you'd love to sit around, you know, if you feel like you're sitting around having a beer with these people and, you know, tell me a story. It doesn't have to be a story about your season or something that would go in your book, but tell me something hilarious that happened behind the scenes in a dressing room that you've never told before. And so that's what I spent a year doing is talking to Wayne Gretzky and Sidney Crosby and Bobby Orr and all these guys and some lesser known people and, you know, the Brett Hulls of the world and, and just asked them to tell me your favorite hockey story. And uh, a lot of it ended up being stuff that happened away from the ice. And, and, and that's why I, I, I like the book because it's just, a, I think it's 60 or 57 different stories. Some from some of my colleagues I work with, uh, you know, Bob McKenzie and Craig Button and these guys, and some from players and coaches and referees and, and so on and so forth. And uh, it was the most work I'd ever had to put in a book for sure. But uh, again, extremely rewarding, I think, in the end. It sounds fantastic. I, 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 uh, you know, for me, in my case, it's having a coffee with one of these guys. If I had a beer, there's no guarantee right. I'll be home for Christmas. <laughs> yeah, coffee, so, beer, uh, whatever, whatever works. Yeah. So, uh, right. So, um, the day I almost killed two Gretzkys. Uh, oh, God. I still look at that cover. Let me, can I, can I tell you a quick story about the cover of that book? Yeah, of course. So, uh, I don't know, do, most of your audience, I guess, watches this or does some just listen? Yeah, on, yeah, uh, yeah. Most, most if of you're, them, yeah. Okay. If you're just listening and not watching is the cover of this book. I'm in like this weird purple sweater Google and plaid, right. plaid pants, like a very loud sort of Ian Poulterish golf outfit. So when we were, when they were filming the cover shoot, you know, it's a day where they, they book a day with a photographer and I was in a very standard, you know, black suit, white shirt look. And I'm not a very good model with, with this face, obviously. So I was trying to do, you know, we were trying to do all these shots and they must have shot me for two hours doing various poses and trying to capture the uh, whimsical nature of this book. The day I almost killed two Gretzky's is another collection of stories and columns I've written over the years. And the day I almost killed two Gretzky's is just one of the stories. But at the very end of the shoot, the author says, uh, uh, not the author, the photographer says, hey, I brought this weird golf stuff. Can you put on this outfit? And he literally took like three frames. And then I was very busy. I think that was 2010, the Olympic year. And I was incredibly busy prepping for the Olympics and everything. And so I, I kind of lost track of the book. And then it just ended up that was on the cover. And uh, everyone made fun of me for forever, how silly the thing looked. But uh, yeah, so never trust a photographer is the lesson of the day. Well, we're going to make uh, the uh, viewers and listeners buy the book to hear about uh, the story of how you almost <laughs> killed two Gretzky's. But I almost killed the Gretzky. So back in, uh, I think it was 1980 80 or 81, I was, uh, it was during the summer. I was working construction. I was getting up early in the morning in South Edmonton. I'm, I was working uh, south of Edmonton, building the, uh, the overpass to the uh, Edmonton International Airport. And uh, pulled into a gas station one morning. And I, you know, I pulled into the entrance of the gas station because it's, a, it's, it's, it's right in the, the middle of Highway 2. So you've got southbound traffic on one side and you've got northbound traffic on the other. And I was coming southbound. I pulled into the entrance and I look, it's, it's six o'clock in the morning. I'm on my way, way to, to work. And all of a sudden, this, this big 
brown Lincoln is sitting in front of me. So I lay on the horn and the Lincoln lays on the horn. And I think I'm thinking, what are you doing? You idiot. You're coming out the, you're coming out the entrance. And I look inside and it's, it's Wayne Gretzky. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sure that, you know, at six o'clock in the morning, he's not expecting any traffic anywhere. He just got on just whatever. And I'm driving a big well, lake if somebody hits me. Uh, that's amazing. Anyway. <laughs> what I, what, you know what? I think I think it's yeah. the nature of Canada and the you know this <laughs> massive country that's a small country that I feel like everybody has a Wayne Gretzky story or, or you know at least a Wayne or a Walter yeah. that they've met them somewhere along the way. I won't tell my whole story as you said, but basically it's about me uh, almost killing both of them in the, within the same golf round, uh, which would oh. have been a, a very which would have been a horrific uh, epitaph to your life. Okay, one more book to talk about. They Call Me Killer, Tales from uh, mm-hmm. Junior Hockey's Legendary Hall of Fame Coach Brian Killer. Kilray. Uh, and this was your first one, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right, James? Yeah, I, I wrote it on the day I almost killed Tugretsky's around the same time. But uh, <laughs> this was a true labor of love because getting back to what we were talking about at the beginning and the love of local sports, Ottawa didn't have an NHL team when I was growing up there. And I would go to 67's games all the time with my dad. And Killer was an absolute legend, still is. And uh, when when I started working in sports, obviously I got got to meet him and cover him. So when I when I decided I wanted to write and start writing books, uh, that was one of the first things that came to my head. I, I always thought the killer was had the personality, uh, the the grand personality of of Don Sherry, not necessarily all the same political stances and such, but he had the stories and and. Uh, but he never, because he was a local junior coach, he never had the platform that Don had on Saturday nights. And so I thought if you could ever get all of Killer's stories together in a book. And and so I sat down with him for basically a week up in Ottawa and just sat and laughed as he told me the stories of his entire career. So that was a true, uh, that was my sort of baptism, as you say, my first book. But it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun to do. I'm actually going to see him next week in, in Ottawa, which I'm, I'm thrilled about. Well, there you know we we know there's a very charitable side uh, of James Duffy or involved with the children's charities uh, fund of Canada, and you also won a Canadian Screen Award for a documentary you did about a young man named Jonathan Petra. Uh, you developed a great relationship with him. Tell us about Jonathan. Yeah, uh, I think probably uh, the most incredible person I've met in my life, and the greatest thing about this career is that somehow it puts you in touch with people like this. Jonathan was born with a, one of the rarest, most painful diseases on the planet. It's called epidermolosis bullosa, which is a skin disease that basically you end up with the skin of a butterfly. That's why he was called the butterfly child. So any touch, uh, you know, if I poked you in the chest, it would be nothing. If I poked Jonathan, it might, the finger might go right through his skin and uh, your entire body is basically that of a, of a butterfly. So everything, every movement in life hurts. Uh, your body's constantly covered in blisters and bruises. Uh, even your throat eating is painful. And he was born with this. So basically from the moment he was born, he had this. And basically my sister sent me a, an article that appeared in the Ottawa Citizen that uh, talked about Jonathan. And there was a last line at the end of it that said he wanted to be a sportscaster. And so I reached out and got in touch with him and we had him down at TSN and it was the beginning of a uh, of an amazing friendship. I just cannot even tell you, and uh, I would still recommend people who haven't seen it or aren't familiar with the story to go and 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 YouTube search the Butterfly Child and, and watch either our documentary or I believe ESPN did one as well later. Uh, 
but the bravery and the courage and the optimism that this boy showed, I met him when he was 14. I think he passed away at 18, four or five years later, uh, was something I just, I couldn't fathom. And, you know, back to what we were talking about earlier to, to, you know, perspective is a word we throw around and we, we say it when somebody, you, you meet someone like that or somebody passes and then you lose it and you get back into all the, the little griping about all the normal things in life. But I think Jonathan gave me permanent perspective of, you know, how our little struggles mean nothing because what this kid went through and for him to be positive was mind boggling to me. He had so many surgeries. He, he had to have his bath every second day, uh, which was the most painful three hours. His mom would have to scrub him because of all the lesions and bruising over his entire body. And, uh, he was basically wrapped like a mummy his entire life. And, uh, yet he was, he loved hockey and he loved the idea of sports casting and, and, and he always was thinking things were going to get better when the reality was they probably never were. And that is his, uh, ability to stay optimistic is something that will stay with me, uh, my entire life. So just an unbelievable, unbelievable, unbelievable kid. Well, you know, we, we can all use a little, little bit of gratitude now and again and, and uh you know for sure. experiencing what you did with jonathan I'm, I'm sure has really contributed to you being grateful and, and that's uh, well just you know. just just quickly like I, I don't know if i if i said it well enough but i think the best thing about our jobs is that maybe you know uh it's not doing the highlights or going to the games or whatever but you are allowed opportunities to meet people like this that maybe you wouldn't otherwise meet because they see you on TV or, or whatever. And so, and to me, that's, it's the, it's the single greatest thing is to, to meet a kid like that and to get to develop a, a friendship with him and learn from him is the, you know, the single, I think, greatest thing about what I do for a living is, uh, that you get opportunities to meet people that literally will change your life. Yep. When we, we change, when we get to be of service, we change when we get to be of service. For sure. I think For sure. it helps us to become complete human beings. Speaking of charities, uh, you took part in a charity golf event recently. Uh, the face-off team Duffy against the uh, <laughs> team Dubas. Uh, and we have a little bit of the video. Don't video. show clips of that. I'm gonna, I'll walk off. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, uh, I'm playing a Callaway three. We don't care. Whoo, James, come on. Like, do you have any etiquette? Uh, yeah, parts. Playing a Callaway Maverick driver as well. Because Callaway gives me clubs. Crowd reaction, much like your comedy club appearances. <laughs> Comedians who can't clutch putt. Number one answer on the board, Jerry D, 47 points. What is that? Banana boat? <laughs> oh, Jerry, that's classy, buddy. The whole thing's come off the mic and it's fallen down his crack, <laughs> crack of his <laughs> Oh, come on, Duffy. I like it. I like it. That was a great weight. I didn't think that was going to get there. He stinks. I'm just saying that to be nice. <laughs> it was one of the one of the great collapses in the history of golf, frankly. I think we got too cocky, and I think uh, I, in particular, showed why I'm a host and not a uh, professional athlete. Truth. <laughs> Truth. <laughs> I want to say a couple of things. A couple of, couple okay. of things, Joe. Uh, first of all, I did collapse. That was horrible. Um, 
that problem that face-off got much more attention because Kyle Dubas was playing probably. And uh yeah. there have been two more two more versions of the face-off. Uh that was two years ago, three years ago. Uh, I won the last two. So I have a two and one face-off record. I want to say for the record. I just happened to lose the one that everybody watched. <laughs> I want to quickly ask you before we let you go. Uh we had we saw Kyle Dubas there. What do you think about the Leafs? Uh, what do you think about the Matt Murray acquisition? And wh- where do you think uh, the Leafs are at? How would you assess? I don't know about the Matt Murray acquisition. I really like Matt Murray as a guy. Uh, I'm like everybody else. I'm, it's a bit of bit of a head scratcher for me. But goaltending is the hardest single thing to predict. I think we found in the NHL is that a guy you think is money uh, doesn't turn out to be. And guys can come off the radar and have fantastic seasons or can have bounce back seasons in Murray's case. So I'll reserve judgment. I think that they'll be have a great season again and we'll be sitting here and nothing matters until April 15th or whatever. And it's the first round of the playoffs against Boston or Tampa or whoever it may be this year. And it'll be the same sort of discussion as to can they do it? And there's nothing to be said, but you know, we're going to have to talk about it all year on the broadcast, but until they win that round, there's just, it would be, I think it would be really difficult being Austin Matthews and Mitch Martyr and having to sit there all season long and talk about, uh, yeah. talk about never getting out of the playoffs because there's nothing they can do about it during the regular season, but it's all that matters really. And so I don't have any, I don't pretend to have any expertise as to whether this is the year they they make it. I still think it'll happen at some point, Joe, but uh, I don't think there's anything in the roster that would give you indication. I think it's just going to, you know, when I think it's going to happen is it's just suddenly the matchup's going to fall into place and, and maybe just the luck of just pure odds that after going through all this, that sooner or later they're going to face a team that maybe gets a couple of injuries or maybe gets a couple of bad breaks go their way. And they end up winning the first round in five or six games. I don't think they'll win in seven. I truly believe that when they win the first round, it's going to be, it'll be like five games or something like that. I think the ghosts of once they get to a game seven, it feels like they're almost doomed. So, but I think one of these years, they'll just get the right matchup and they'll win in, you know, in five or six. Uh, and hopefully for the fans this, this year, I get sick of talking about the first round exits too. So I would love to see it. I'm not a Leafs fan. But I would love to see a, a deep run just for the sake of uh, it's it's more it's great for the town and it's more fun to talk about when they when they go deep. Well, they are certainly do. What do you think about the orders? And now they, they seem to like the ex leaves. Do you like the uh, Jack Campbell <laughs> acquisition? I do. I mean, uh, it's it's funny. We weren't sure in Toronto whether you wanted Jack Campbell back, and then suddenly, by the time the goaltending market looked around July. First and whenever the market opened this year, uh, suddenly everybody wanted Jack Campbell back. And when he was gone, it was uh, it was a horror awful loss. So uh, I, I mean, I think he's a I think Jack is what he is. He's I think he's a decent goaltender with flaws. Uh, but the Oilers haven't had stability in a in a while back there, and uh, I think he'll be fine. I think they look at they made a giant leap last year, and uh, you know the Kane thing worked out perfectly. I'll be really interested to see if it works out in over a long term like this. Evander's got a lot to prove, uh, you know, on, on that he can sustain it for a full season and not have any issues. I hope he does. 
So I think they'll be back in the playoffs and, you know, be one of the top four or five contenders in the West again. If you were going to ask me who has a better chance to win the cup, I would put Oilers over Leafs. Um, mm. But what about uh, the Flames? Uh, are are they a better club with Huberdeau and Kadri than they were with uh, Johnny Hockey and Matthew Kachuk? I think if you add Uyghur in there, that they probably are. If you add the three players over the two, then 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 they are, which is saying something. And that's one of the great salvation projects I've seen when you lose two guys of that stature. Um, I mean, Kachuk has intangibles that certainly uh, Huberto doesn't have, but Kadri has a little bit of that too. So. I would say, if, if nothing else, they're equal. And that's that's something, considering where they were when they lost those two guys. Still a Sens fan? Those two guys. Are you, are you still I, a I've Sens never fan? been a Sens fan. I get accused of it by by uh, by my friends, but I'm really not. Like, I, I would... The only reason... It's the same conversation we had about the Rough Riders, is I would like the Sens to win because it gave my parents great joy. But I really don't care. I really don't. <laughs> I uh, I cheer for things that affect TSN well. You know what I mean? If it's a close game and more people watch, uh, I think that's one thing about this job that you underestimate is that it does suck the fan out of you. And there's no team in the NHL I cheer for. I cheer for things that affect my life. Uh, you know what I mean? If I'll give you a quick example before you let me go here. Uh, when Chicago was playing Boston in the Stanley Cup final, I think 13 or something like that, 15. And uh, my son was going to graduate and I was going to miss his graduation from grade eight, which wasn't the biggest deal in the world. But, you know, at the time it felt like a big deal. He's like, Daddy, aren't you going to come watch me graduate? And, and I needed the series to end in six. And Boston was ahead, I think, two to one late in the game. And uh, Chicago scored two goals in the last 140 to win the cup. And that was a moment I was cheering in the press box, which you're never supposed to do, Joe, because. <laughs> it meant that I didn't have to go back to Chicago. I got to go home and see my son graduate. So I only tell that story because that that's the kind of way you, you look at the world, the lens of sports uh, when you're a sportscaster, I think, as I cheer for the things that selfishly affect my life instead of uh, teams. Well, you know, a couple of times I remember cheering their press box. I certainly wasn't alone. It was uh, 80, <laughs> 80, uh, 80, 84, Game five of the Stanley Cup final at the Edmonton Coliseum. And then uh, uh, 2015, the bat flip at, uh, at uh, oh, the Rock Yeah, that's, that's hard not to. I'll tell you the yeah, other one. The 2000, sorry, the Raptors winning yeah, when I was down in, yeah, yeah. in California when the Raptors won the title. I was, I mean, I wasn't cheering in the press box, but I was nervous. I, I did want it really bad for the city of Toronto. So uh, it does get to you sometimes for sure. James, uh, you have a podcast, the Rubber Boots Podcast. I want to encourage everybody to check it out. It's hilarious. Uh, who's Puff and uh, and Lester? <laughs> so when I started the podcast, Joe, it's not nearly as focused as as yours. And I want to say before I go, uh, I've never been on one where you guys have done research and dug up clips like that. So uh, you guys do a fantastic job on this one, and uh, pleasure talking to you. Mine is not nearly as organized. Uh, when I started the podcast. Uh, Basically, I just I have some friends at work who I hang out with who aren't on TV, and I thought it would be fun, and I think they're super funny and entertaining, and so I, I just wanted to have a podcast that was just a conversation with your friends about really dumb things, and I the same sort of thing if you're sitting around with a bunch of guys and talking about nothing and whatever subject comes into the conversation, that's what basically our podcast is. We have no plan. We have no game plan whatsoever, which is painfully obvious when you listen. 
Lester is a guy who works at TSN, who's also a musician, very talented, and he'll sing sometimes during the pod and do little theme songs for the little game show bits we do. Uh, Puffy is one of our producers who is the guy, if you're, if you're watching a Leaf game, who helps us coordinate all the highlights that we show during the intermissions. But he's also a, a completely nutty guy, and so he's on there. And Stoff is our other guy who's the, who's the Vic. He's the producer and uh, does all the legwork behind the scenes. So they're my idiot friends, and uh, it's, a, it's a very dumb podcast, but it's a lot of fun. Well, you know what, James, you're a very funny guy. It comes across in the podcast. I encourage everybody to check it out. And I thank you so much for, for taking the time to join us here today. Uh, have an awesome year with your NHL coverage, World Juniors coverage when it comes around again. And uh, By the way, James, we have some uh, great Italian clothing from uh, for you from uh, Classic Imports. We're going to hook you up with Jeff, and he's going to. Oh, it's going to make you look real, real sharp. Better than the cover of uh, I Almost Killed Two Bucks. <laughs> well, thank you. And I, you know, I noticed the golf shot behind you. I still remember our, uh, we had one round, you, me, Lance Brown. I can't remember who the fourth was now. Ken Shaw? No, it wasn't Lance Brown. It was Ken Shaw. It was you, me, yeah, Ken yeah. Shaw. And I can't remember, I can't remember the fourth. Yeah. But uh, I was, there's a, something happened in this tournament. And we were playing at the country, now what is now Country Club. And which I think they're plowing over for houses now. Right. Yeah. And uh, we were on a hole. We were like waiting on the tee and the rapper snow was on the tee. And it was uh, this par three and the rapper snow was not, a, you know, snow folks in form. So snow hit a ball sideways and there was some chef barbecuing on the next tee and then the ball hit him in the ass or whatever. And the, and the, the barbecue was jumping around. And I remember sitting there going, did this actually happen? Did I just watch the rapper Snow get a tee shot into some guy barbecuing ass and, and the steak? That was my one memory of our golf round together. So we'll have to have another one. Okay. Yeah. Well, very soon, James, I'm going to have you out and uh, a couple other friends and, and uh, you, you'll know them and uh, we'll go to wind dance. We'll, we'll get it running very, very uh, soon. Okay. All right. I would so, love that. I would okay, love it. Thank you so much for having me, buddy. Really appreciate it. All right. Thanks for being here, man. It was a real pleasure. Okay. All right, well, more sports when we come back. Thanks, James. More Joe Tilly's Great Canadian Sports Show coming up after the break. Guests on Joe Tilly Sports receive a gift certificate from Classica Imports. Top of the line, imported men's clothing. Check out the Classica Essential Collection now. Go to shopclassica.com. Addiction Rehab Toronto, Toronto's number one alcohol and drug treatment center. Saving lives, reuniting families. The only treatment center in the province to offer medical detox, treatment, sober living, and lifetime aftercare all in one place. Our unique and specialized programs are designed to equip our clients with the tools to successfully lead a life of dignity, respect, and purpose. Let us help save your life or your loved one's life. Call today for more information or to facilitate an intervention. 1-855-787-2424 or visit addictionrehabtoronto.ca. Joe Tilly Sports is brought to you by COSA. Central Ontario Standard Bread Association, providing a united voice for harness horse people racing at Ontario tracks. Check out your benefits today at COSAonline.com and check out COSA TV on Facebook and YouTube for all the latest harness news and live action updates. Live racing, 
year-round. Go to HPIBet.com for all your wagering options. Become a member today, and your first bet is free. That's HPIBet.com. Do you know why that happened? You didn't fix your ball mark. The birds around here are very protective of the course, and when people don't take care of it, this is what happens. It's pretty simple. Just find your mark, fix it, and at least one other. Hey, look at the bright side. We're not up on the northern course. They've got bears and moose. Visit moregolf.ca today. You'll find everything a golfer could need from balls, gloves, and clubs to custom fitting opportunities and training gear. Go to moregolf.ca and get $20 off your first purchase of $100 or more. Just enter the promo code JTSports. Yes, it's time for my Costa Swiss Pick of the Week. Last week, I went to Mohawk for Saturday night's $650,000 final of the Canadian Pacing Derby. I took the favorite Bulldog Hanover with Dexter Dunn driving, trained and cold by John Darling. Bulldog Hanover, the world record holder, took the early lead. Here's a call from Ken Middleton. Still there at the rail, and it's Bulldog Hanover in the Canadian Pacing Derby. He went the distance in 146 and four-fifths, and he's tied the Canadian record. Yes, a dominating effort by a special horse. The time of 146 and four did indeed tie that track record and Canadian record. Dexter Dunn and Jack Darling really have something special here, and he hasn't peaked just yet. Um, well, when you sit, you know, sat behind so many horses, it, uh, you know, you sit behind a horse like Bulldog, it really is a, a pleasure and it's enjoyment being out there. So, you know, I'm just along for the ride with them. I know back home you drove a lot of great horses. You've got to drive some great ones in your short time here. Where does he rank? Uh, he's going to be at the top. You know, um, what he's doing is just amazing this year. I think the way he does it as well, uh, you know, there's no easy trips for him. He, he does all the hard work on those big races, and, uh, you know, he's, he's running away from good horses. Uh, Ted stuck with him good tonight, but, uh, you know, he's just an amazing animal. Like, this, this horse, is, uh, he, he's really uh, got a, a fan base out there, and so many people you know are cheering for him it's uh it's just an honor to be uh, involved with him and be part of it even our fans here they were out tonight to grab t-shirts to celebrate this guy i mean horses like this don't come along too often oh no it's tremendous i mean i've had calls from all over the united states people that, that want t-shirts of uh, bulldog handler t-shirts so yeah it's just a it's just a real thrill to be might have to get a few more made I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah maybe. Uh, let's talk about uh, schedule. What, what's, uh, what's coming up next for him? He's got a busy schedule. He's got uh, four races in the next five weeks. Two in Ohio, one in uh, Indiana, and then Lexington. Uh, we'll just go day by day to see which ones we'll, we'll go in, if we go in the mall. Uh, I know the Ohio fans, uh, they're great uh, harness racing fans, so I know they want to see him. So we'll, we'll do our best to get down there. Okay, Jack, I'll take a medium in that Bulldog Hanover t-shirt. In the $600,000 Maple Leaf trot, the favorite, Ekiri D, made a late move, but check out the furious finish. 
by back of the neck at nine to one. Tim Tietrich driving. Tietrich wins the Maple Leaf Trot for the third time. Aki Svonstad, the trainer of both back of the neck and Eckery D. All right, this week I'm heading to Mohawk for Thursday night's tenth race. I'm taking the number eight horse. Almost there, boss. James McDonald drives. Coming off a nice win last week. I also like the two three eight exacta and trifecta. For all the racing updates, visit Costa TV on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Go to hpibet.com for your wagering options. This is the Excellent Sports Adventure. Brought to you by Lycom. Well, after a disappointing homestand that saw them go two and four, the Blue Jays really got out to a solid start, an amazing start to the 10-game road trip. What a night for Bo Bichette at PNC Park in Pittsburgh. Tied at one. Bo comes through with a clutch two-out line shot. That's trouble. That's going to clear the bases. Yes, indeed. Three driven in. Bichette also got it done on defense. Ranges over the field and tough chopper. Guns to first. Vladdy Guerrero with the stretch. Lovely play. Jays bury the Bucks 4-1 to sweep the series. Jays and Orioles, a huge four-game September series at Camden Yards. See Oscar Hernandez with a big bop in the opener of a doubleheader. Majestic blast to straightaway center. See Oscar's 20th. Bichette had a couple of RBI singles, a three-for-four game. He had four three-hit games over a five-game stretch. Jays roll in this one, 7-3. Now the second game of the twin bill, Bichette does it again, yes. See if any legs from Nick Vespi. Whack, two out, three-run rip for Bo. Man is on fire. That was number 19 for the season. He wasn't done. Three innings later, Bichette again. Guess what? He does it again. Bo went deep three times in this game. Jays romp 8-4. Their fifth straight win, seventh W in eight games. You know, remember that time they were swept by the Angels? No, nah, me neither. It's a quirk in the schedule, but it's great for rivalries. For the fourth time in five weeks, the Argos and the Ticats got together to duke it out, this time at Tim Hortons Field for the annual Labor Day Classic. Argos on the move, getting tricky. McLeod Belfort Thompson gets to Curly Gittins Jr. on the reverse. Hands to Brandon Banks, slips a tackle. Looks like he might throw. Nope, takes it in for six against his former club. And the boatmen keep it coming. Bethel Thompson, play action fake. He's going to lay up a lovely ball for, guess who? The former cat, Banks. Argos, Pummel Hamilton, 28-8. They're 6-5, a two-game lead in the East. Ticats fall to 3-9. The Ottawa Red Blacks get the Alouettes at Montreal. Trevor Harris is going to scramble out of the pocket. He's tripped up. He coughs up the ball. Devon Coleman scoops it up. And he's going to score for Ottawa. Nick Arbuckle finds Darvin Adams at the back of the end zone. His first TD toss as a red block as they stun the Owls 38-24. Blue Barbers and Rough Riders in the annual Banjo Bowl. Fourth quarter, Mark Leggio with a 55-yard field goal try. Does he have enough Leggio? Yes, he does. Bombers over the Riders 20-18. They're now 11-1, and yep, that's why they call him Legs. The Canadian women's hockey team saved the best for last when it really mattered. In their MVP most complete all-round effort of the tournament, the Canucks side took down the Americans 2-1 in the gold medal final at the World Championships in Denmark. Oakville's Brianne Jenner scored both Canadian goals as they avenged an earlier loss to the U.S. in the preliminary round. In the third, It's a third major title in the past year. They also beat the Americans at last year's Worlds and, of course, the Olympics. 
Toronto FC's playoff hopes took a big hit. The Reds jumped out to a 2-0 lead early against Montreal, but the visitors roared back with four straight goals, and they hung on for a 4-3 win despite a two-goal effort by Lorenzo Insigne. Mississauga's Adriana Leone scored twice to lift Canada past Australia in an international women's soccer friendly in Melbourne, 2-1 the final there. Let's hear it for Mike Shoreman. Made his way home after paddling his way across all five Great Lakes over a 10-week period on a stand-up paddleboard. Mike becomes the first athlete and first Canadian with disabilities to cross all the Great Lakes in this matter. He's been raising funds for young Canadians in crisis. Well done, Mike. There's a documentary in the works highlighting the journey of Mike Sherman, I'm sure, and you'll want to catch that. Well, Corey Connors of Listowel, Ontario, and Taylor Pendrith of Richmond Hill have both been named to the international side for the upcoming President's Cup. Internationals versus the Americans beginning September 20th at Quail Hollow at Charlotte, North Carolina. Now, here's our shot of the week from the Canadian Junior Golf Association Fundraiser Tournament. God damn it. Four! Good, the par 3 12th here at Lobovic hey, hey. Golf Course. She is pin high and putting for birdie. Very good. Today's environmental tip use fewer plastic bags. Plastic bags are made from fossil fuels. And that has a negative impact on the climate. Drains clogged with plastic waste can contribute to major flooding. Plastic bags harm wildlife in numerous ways. They may ingest the plastic. Animals can get tangled in discarded plastic. RICOM, passionate people who turn complicated business problems into simplified technology solutions. For public and private sector real estate, properties, portfolios, and enterprise customers. Optimize and future-proof smart buildings from the ground up. The latest in fault locating, base building network design, managed services, cybersecurity, data analytics. Our fault detection will support all smart strategies, define projected outcomes for capital planning, and reduce environmental impact. RICOM, smart protection solutions. At RICOM, we're building a path to a smart and environmentally friendly future. And we'd like to thank all the folks who make this show possible. These are friends, trusted business associates, and all-around great folks. We highly recommend them all. A reminder, the show is available on iTunes, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, and Pocket Cast, as well as the Spanglish Network, Zingo TV, and Buzz TV Live. Also, you really want to check out our YouTube channel. There are past shows available, weekly sportscasts, all kinds of cool segments like and subscribe it's absolutely free thanks once again to james duffy for being on the program thank you for watching and we'll see you next week when we celebrate the 50th anniversary of the summit series we'll have paul henderson on the show and others we'll see you then joe tilly's great canadian sports show is brought to you by brian gribben insurance planning helping you solidify your financial future at BGIP, what we do that's unique in the marketplace is we show people how to spend and enjoy their money in their early years of retirement without the fear of running out. Also, we're able to do this without you having to change financial advisors. Please look us up at bgip.ca today. Let's book a 30-minute phone call to see how we can bring value to you and your family in your planning. Call Brian today for all your retirement needs. We did. 905-686-686. 
5678. Do you want to buy or sell a home? Could 31 years of real estate experience help you? Why not speak to an amazing team that loves to overpromise and overdeliver? Aldo has a tremendous team of experts on staff. They are committed to making your next real estate transaction smooth and comfortable. Call 416 Get Aldo or visit getaldo.com. MNP, a leading Canadian national accounting, tax, and business accounting firm. MNP proudly serves and responds to the need of their clients in the private, public, and nonprofit sectors. Through partner-led engagements, MNP provides a collaborative, cost-effective approach to do business and personal strategies to help people and organizations to succeed across the country and around the world. With local offices in Oshawa, Mississauga, Burlington, and more, their team is here to support you. Visit mnp.ca today to learn more. Hi, I'm Joe Tilly. This November, join me and my wife, Penny Claire, for a trip of a lifetime. Two weeks in Egypt and Jordan. Imagine yourself riding a camel beside the Great Pyramids, cruising the Nile River, viewing the temples at Abu Simbel, exploring the desert at Wadi Rum, visiting the ancient city of Petra, and swimming in the world-renowned Dead Sea. Only $41.99 all-inclusive, with direct flight from Toronto, free upgrade to five-star hotels, and the cruise. Visit tripopo.com and book today to get an extra $100 room bonus credit. Let's travel. The UPS Store in Brooklyn wants to help your small business thrive. We offer shipping and more, like our pack and ship guarantee. Plus, we offer graphic design services, fast digital printing, secure document shredding, and mailboxes with a real address. Visit 31 Baldwin Street in Brooklyn, Ontario. Say you saw this on Joe Tilly's Great Canadian Sports Show, and we'll tell you how to save 10% every day.